Welcome to the Woke Buffalo Podcast with your host, Matt Meyer. Hey everybody, welcome to the Woke Buffalo Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. My interview today is with a guy named Mike Sutton. Mike is a yoga instructor, holistic health practitioner. I've known Mike for, man, probably 12 to 13 years. Uh, I was first introduced to him when he had opened up a little yoga studio near my office And I had a little experience of yoga before Mike, but that was the first practice that I started on a regular basis. And it really, really uh, was a a cool journey to be able to practice yoga a few times a week. Mike's style of teaching is a lot different than I had been um, exposed to, and even up until this day. Uh, Mike really looks at the philosophical nature of yoga and spiritual teachings, along with the, you know, more biomechanical piece of it. And, you know, in the practice, it wasn't about getting to, you know, a certain amount of poses or a certain amount of, uh, you know, certain movements. We would stop and workshop things in class. And that really resonated with me, especially with a, you know, a movement therapist, I uh, enjoyed that type of teaching, and we had some amazing experiences in the yoga, and Mike also has a, really this whole knowledge of uh, philosophy and Eastern medicine and things like that. Uh, we've done sweat lodge together, and it's been a cool experience to know Mike, and although my practice has changed a little bit, and it's uh, the last few years I spent more time revisiting actually my Bikram practice, I still think yoga has such an important part really for every person. I think at some level, every human should have some type of a yoga practice. For me, I think that balancing yoga with some of my strength training, specifically the kettlebell, is this perfect union. It's this yin and yang of soft and hard and probably those are some of my best uh, weeks where I could get a yoga practice in once or twice and some strength training sessions with the kettlebells. They just complement each other, and it's when my body feels really at peak. So I'm super psyched, really excited to bring you my interview with Mike. He's so knowledgeable in all facets of uh, health and wellness, so I'm very grateful to have him on the podcast. But before we start... Um, I want to just thank everybody again for all the amazing messages. Uh, my last uh, episode that I did with Maria Khan, the meditation teacher, I got some great uh, messages and DMs about how, uh, how good that podcast was. So thank you. So a few things I'm revisiting from a podcast perspective is uh, someone named East Forest. If you have not heard of East Forest, East Forest is a musician. And also, he's deeply ingrained into the um, meditation world. He produces some of the most amazing, uplifting, deep music that I've ever come in contact with. Um, I've had the experience of listening to some of his uh, music during some ceremonies, some plant medicine ceremonies, and it is a real vehicle to get you into some of... next level places. He's a beautiful soul. Hopefully one day I'll be able to meet him in person. But all of his stuff is available on Spotify and things like that. And he actually has a podcast called The Ten Laws. 
and talking about high vibration. Um, Surround yourself with things like music and podcasts, especially at this time. There's so much low-level anxiety that's kind of crept into society, individuals. I really, really think that it's so important right now to be feeding ourselves, our souls, our bodies with the most positive, high-vibration foods, music, energy that we can. Um, It's kind of cliche to say that, and uh, the last five or six months for me, I've noticed how important that really is. And I'll be starting my solo cast next week, and I'm going to be touching on some of these points. Just everyday things that we can do to uh, help with some of the anxiety, to help us kind of get through uh, a lot of the fear that people are experiencing. And uh, every day, it's a process, man. Every day... We have to do things to nurture that because we're surrounded with just this uneasiness and uh, this hyper polarization of of people and humans right now. So um, I'm looking forward to bring you all that. So I hope you guys enjoy my podcast today with Mike Sutton. Um, Have a wonderful day. Get outside, get some nature, walk barefoot in the grass, lay in the sun eat some good food, and enjoy your life. And as always, stay woke. All right, Michael, thank you for joining me, buddy. How many years have we known each other now? I was just thinking of that earlier today. It's, it's, it, it's, it's over 10 years. It's over 12 years, I think. I think it's probably a little over 12 because I, um, I met you when I had a little practice in Snyder, and you had this... Um, your beautiful little studio over on Lincoln. That's right. And um, that was when that was when we were introduced to each other. So probably yeah, it's got to be 12, 13 years. Yeah, you would come, Nick would come. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And we would sweat. It was, you know, I really, I, I love your studio now, and uh, that studio uh, was so nice, and that was the first time. That was when I really started into a yoga practice, oh, yeah. um, and I knew how valuable it was. You know, I had done some, you know, quote unquote gym yoga before that. Yeah. I'd done, a, I think, like a little beginner's class um, at East Meets West. And when I had met you, first off at the time, too, was so, it, it was so nice because there weren't a lot of male people. Uh, there were very few male yoga instructors. There were a few males at practice. It was such a heavily dominated female industry. Oh, absolutely. Um, and... Your teaching and your, you know, vibe per se uh, was was a really nice, it was something just different. So tell me a little bit, kind of unpack where you started, you know, um, why you wanted to get into yoga. And even more than that is, you know, your holistic health journey. Yeah. I, as, as you may remember, I was in martial arts for three decades uh, off and on. And there came a point in the early 90s, sometime, yeah, early, sometime in the 90s, that I was tired of fighting. And I wanted something, I wanted to transition to something else that was mind-body. I had no clue that it would be yoga. And now, were you, were you, you were studying karate, correct? Shotokan, yes. was it? It was uh, Ishinryu and Shorenji. And... Uh, 
a few, a keto in, in there. Sure, sure. Not too much with that. But anyways, I was living in Wilmington, Delaware, and my girlfriend and I at the time went to uh, a yoga class. It was at the YMCA, which there at the time was the big place to go to. Oh, of course. And uh, so we took a class, and I got... I just got beat up and I fell in love with it. Didn't know it was mind also. It, to me, it was just physical. Just physical. And uh, so then I went again. And then the third time I went to the class, to same instructor, <clears throat> she was talking about this mind-body stuff. I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Now, she may have been talking about it the first class, but I, I heard it the third class. And I thought, holy cow, this is it. This is, what, this is it. I'm going to be able to transition into something. So I started taking that five days a week because I just fell in love with it. Oh, wow. And wow. It, was, it was hard for me. Um, that very first class, I there were 17 other women in that class and me. The only, wow, the only male. And they were not, they did not look like they were in good shape, but they could do everything that the instructor put them through and I was struggling. And that's why, Interesting. I, that's why I said, oh my God, I gotta do this. So then from there, it was just uh, learning all the stuff, learning, 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 with the idea that I'm going to teach someday because I taught martial arts. So I eventually moved here to Buffalo and started teaching at the BAC. Mm, yes. and there was like two or three ladies that were coming to the class. Um, and then I'm not going to mention exactly what was said, but one of the ladies after one of the classes went into the women's locker room and said something, and all of a sudden I had 30 people wow. come into the class. Wow. And, and from there it took off. I eventually went, left there and went to the uh, Northeast Holistic Center. Do you remember that? I do, um, vaguely. Early, I near, do. Near Young's. And it was the only holistic center in the area at the time. And I started teaching over there. And then a series of events occurred where I decided I had to leave there. And I never wanted to own my own place. But things precipitated that and I, I opened up my studio in Lincoln, <clears throat> the one that you, know, you went to eventually. And you had, and I, uh, you were in finance before, in banking? I was in banking. In banking. Yeah. And also to tell me a little bit about your uh, Stint, you went to Syracuse University, correct? I went to Syracuse. I uh, actually played or went out and tried for the, out for the football team <clears throat> um, because the first two years I sat in the stands and watched the games. Yeah. And then one, as a sophomore one day, one game I was sitting by myself. I moved away from the, the group I was with and I thought to myself, I'm better than these guys. Because I grew up playing football my entire life. So I tried out, the guys that I knew said, don't do it, don't do it, this is no longer fun for us, this is a business. He said, the only reason we're doing this is because we're on scholarship, and we gotta uh, keep playing in order I see. to maintain scholarship. And I didn't listen to them, I tried out, and they put me, I would try it out for wide receiver, they put me dead last, they don't know who the heck I am, and I made first string. Amazing, amazing. And, and the day I made first string is the day my career ended. Uh, <laughs> I wow. got, that's when I blew out my knee and blew out both shoulders, same day, Monday. Monday, the final week of spring practice. And whether or not I had gotten hurt anyways, the guy who came in as a, the next year as a freshman was Art Monk. 
Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, so you were playing anyway, but that's right. just—I mean—that's a—that takes a lot. That's a pretty—that's uh, a great story to like see that and then say I'm going to do it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. The thing I missed when leaving was the guys. Of course, that camaraderie. Yeah, not getting wrecked up every day, but but the camaraderie. I, I I get that a lot too with people that in the professional sports and that realm and even with like the military and things a lot of times people are there they're there because of their fellow players teammates yeah. you know fellow soldiers it's mm -hmm. that I think it's that naturally human piece <clears throat> of being in a you know it being in this pack of people yeah yeah so it's, a, it's like a fraternity they, they call the police the fraternal order of right. course, of course. And that's, you know, the day in and day out stuff. Yeah. And then after college, you'd got into some finance. Uh, yeah, banking. after college, I eventually went into the banking industry, started here in Buffalo at Murray Midland Bank, moved to Hartford, then moved to Boston, then to Atlanta, and then Chicago, and then Atlanta, and then Delaware, and then I quit the banking world. I worked in the banking world for 20 years. I never saw the sense in working with all these dollars. I was in charge of a lot of dollars um, electronically, because I was in the electronic field uh, side of things. And it, I had to convince myself every six to nine months to like what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I was able to do that, fortunately. <laughs> and I ended up having a decent time. Um, I would have tremendous arguments with my boss at the top of our lungs in his office. And the other supervisors would come to me and say, would you talk to John about this or talk to him about that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was the only one who had the courage to talk to John. And he was one of the greatest guys on the planet. <laughs> but we would get into battles verbally, which was funny. <laughs> yeah, well, passion, you know? Yeah, yeah. That passion. Yeah. So when you had decided to make the change and, and teach the, the yoga and whatnot, fast forward to your studio there, I mean, the one thing that I had realized when we had first met is that you had an absolute passion, not only for yoga, but for health, especially holistic health. Yeah. Which sometimes is intertwined in the yoga community, but you really, you know, you'd really taken to that next piece. How did all that come into play with you? I, as in college, got into nutrition. And back then it was just vitamins, minerals, and proteins. Herbs were just a, an unknown to me. I, I used to like, you know, push herbs away. You know, now it's like, hey, everybody should be taking herbs. But back then I just didn't know. And I just studied vitamins, minerals, and protein. And I got into that education-wise and then um, kind of fell off. I mean, for myself, I stayed with it, but for as far as teaching other people about it or working with other people. I uh, did that for a while and then, then s slowed down with that. And then again, year, so that was around, that was college time. And then back in the, where was I? 90s, when I was in Delaware, I got back into that whole scene, this time with herbs. And I started to study iridology. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, the study of how the eyes... Yeah, the um, iris of the eyes tell you a story. And so I started doing iridology, but in order to do that, you have to know have a remedy to tell what person you're meeting with. And, sure. and the herbs were the remedies. And 
I would, you get to a point, you know this being a practitioner, a body worker yourself, and a meditator. You get to a point where you get so good at what you're doing, you get so adept that you become intuitive. So I remember I was doing a health fair at a local company here, and I was telling this guy things about his mother by looking in his iris. And he backs, I don't know what the heck I said, this is like 10 years ago, he backs away from me. He's got a booming voice that says, holy cow, how did you know that? Only my mother knows that. Hey, everybody, you got to see this guy. Because everybody's like, oh, man. <laughs> so I had a line out the tent um, because of that, because you just become more adept. Of course. Doing that, the same thing over and over. Wow, that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's <laughs> interesting. In the, you know, the one thing that I noticed, too, and I know you've done, you used to do, book clubs and all these things. And it was so, your yoga classes, when I was studying, what I really enjoyed was there was almost a lesson. And I really liked that. You would, you know, read from a book and read a passage and we would practice. And we, you weren't afraid to stop and workshop things. And I think in the, in the forum of, you know, exercise and movement, uh, everything becomes so cataloged of you got to do this, 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 and this. And the one thing that I really enjoyed with your yoga practice and how you did is that we would, we would teach and workshop things and that the movement was really essential. And maybe we didn't get to every sun salutation right. or whatnot, but there was so much learning that took place. Was that in your, was that something that you evolved into or was that how you were taught? And maybe even unpack the your yoga training, what style and where you trained. Yeah, I, um, I wasn't taught that. Um, that evolved. And my training, I was never going to go to a yoga teacher training program. Um, most of what I've learned has been just through practice, self-taught. So like with martial arts, I, sure. I learned and learned and learned, but I practiced three hours every single day for years. And that shows results um, and then so then my instructors would have me teach as still a white belt I'm teaching the green belts and the brown belts um, just because I became more adept sure and refined and so when I started teaching yoga that didn't happen right away because the yoga was new to me it's it's different it's the same thing as teaching karate but it's different a little bit different movement instead of chi it's Absolutely. prana instead of using the chi to break a block or, or board, you're using uh, prana to heal. Same thing, different application. But it took me a while to get into a groove of doing what you noted. I would, I would many times turn a class into, into a portion of it into a workshop. And it happened because as I'm walking around with people, back then when we had people in, in the studio, um, I'd walk around and teach. And then I'd see things in various people and I said all right hold on to that Michael and we're gonna bring that up in 15 minutes or so okay and then I'd see other people doing similar or different things in the in plank to chaturanga let's say right um, and then they'd give me information to workshop and and again like I said it didn't happen right away I had to I realized there was a need. Not everybody wanted to come to a workshop, a three-hour workshop. Of course, of and course. And so I started doing this, and I realized I was cutting down my income 
because I'm teaching a 15, 20 minutes of workshop in a 90 minute class or a 75 minute class, but so be it. Uh, it just worked out that way. Well, as the explosion of yoga happened, I know that I, as a therapist, I started to see a lot more people injured coming from yoga. Uh, you know, when the CrossFit boom kind of happened, you know, there's a lot of people that I saw that had just started CrossFit and, you know, they maybe weren't taught properly, which happens with anything. But then I started seeing it with yoga and it made me really, it, it made me um, nervous because yoga was becoming so popular and I think a lot of people that go to yoga are often going and they're, uh, they're not ready to move in that way. And they're kind of like, fix me yoga. You know, their doctors are saying, you should do yoga. And I'm like, okay, well, what kind? It's like saying you should, you know, you should exercise, but there's so many variations. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many different styles and types of yoga. Do you think that the explosion of yoga's popularity has been a, to the detriment of the practice? Or at the end of the day, do you think it was, it's, it's, it's all good knowledge that's being put out there? It's two-edged. Um, there's, there's upsides and there's downsides. With the explosion, there's been a lot of young, young, in my opinion, too young teachers. Um, they're in their early 20s and they have no life experience. Hmm. They have passion. But like, to tell a story, get up, it's very seldom, and I've seen some, I've had some young teachers here who I hired them because they were so amazing in, in a lot of the categories I look at. Um, but most of them can get up there and just, you know, cue you. But anybody can get up there and cue you, I think. Um, I, when I am looking for someone, I'm looking for someone in their 40s. Also at the studio, we tend to get an older crowd probably because I'm older. And again, a lot of the teachers I heard are 40s sure. and up and, and they're older. And so we attract what we are. Um, on the other hand, yeah, yoga is great. It, it's, it's obviously taken off and, and we're spreading it to more and more people. But I think we need to, um, it, it's, it can be style dependent. Uh, there's more injuries in some of the um, hot, hot styles. Uh, and I, used, I talked to someone, I was friends with him years ago when he used to live here. And he, he taught one of the original hot styles. And we were talking about this very subject. And he said to me, yeah, but we feed you other yoga studios a lot of people because of the injuries, because they eventually leave that style and come to other styles. <clears throat> and I thought, well, that's not a good answer, but it's a correct one. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And I, um, you know, I saw that treating some injuries. And a lot of the injuries that I was treating were from the instructors. Yeah. And that I found, you know, concerning. Well, I hurt myself when I was at another studio taking a workshop, trying to do what the other students were doing. You know, what the teacher was cueing, and, then other, and the other students are doing something, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they can do that, I can do that. Now, yoga is not supposed to be competitive, right? Yes. But our, our nature, our egoic nature is competitive. To an, even if you're a pacifist, you're going to try something that may be beyond your bounds. And I did that. I tore, tore my knee. My, other, my good knee. <laughs> the good knee. The one yeah. that wasn't smashed in right. uh, playing football. Right. 
Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's part of the evolution of anything. I think the challenge with yoga specifically is it, it's there's so many more people that it uh, appeals to. So with that, you get a lot more people that um, that are bound. You know, they have more injuries and whatnot. Yeah. How do you think? So what we touched on a little bit earlier. How is it? Uh, being a male in a very female-dominated industry. Uh, what's been some of those roadblocks? What's been some of the pluses uh, for it? I know personally speaking, and I've had many amazing female yoga instructors uh, working with you, uh, the energy's different, um, and it was uh, a really nice uh, kind of balance of having uh, your teaching and your work even mixed in with some of the other female uh, teachers that I've had? Initially, I remember when I first started uh, here, um, not so much at, um, when I taught at a gym, because they, the, the, a gym is a meat market. There's just a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, what I'm going to say occurred there, but I didn't notice it there. When I started teaching at Northeast Holistic Center, which is no longer, uh, or my original studio, I noticed a lot of women wearing makeup when they came to my class. Ah, uh -huh, yes. And after a while when they realized that I wasn't interested in that, they stopped wearing it and most of them stopped coming. Some of them continued to come, but just stopped wearing it and we became friends. Um, and then there, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I could say something to this woman and it's fine and say something to this woman, it's not fine. So he's got, there's an awareness that has to be. Of course. Uh, and, and I'm just so ignorant when it comes to certain things. I'm, I'll talk to him like I talk to my sister. Sure. And uh, yeah, I, I, and then now, fast forward to now, you got to be very aware, very careful. Um, an uh, innocent comment is may not be so innocent in the eyes of someone else. <laughs> so it's it can be skewed. Um, yeah. It's well, you know, so. I had noticed even in the industry of not so much in strength and conditioning, but you know, the other side of the coin that I work with in you know body work and massage therapy was very female dominated. You know, in my class, I think there were probably five uh, males and 20 oh, really? females. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to have some really good instruction and to have some, had to be very aware of, you know, touch and aware of words. And I think at the end of the day, it, it, I think it was good and I think it was a learning experience um, but I would agree, you know, you always have to be extra careful treating a lot of athletes, myself and a lot of younger athletes. Um, you know, I would always have a very, uh, a very conservative policy about, you know, how we treat, you know, who has the open door policy with people in the room. And I, I think whether it be good or bad, I think we're just living in that era where you always have to be super super careful yeah um, I don't think your studio would have been as successful 
as it's been, you know, if you didn't have, uh, if you didn't have that following and that, that teaching. Tell me a little bit about the different types of classes and things that you, that you offer. Uh, I guess now, I mean, I've done Qigong classes here and sound meditation and that's oh, just that whole, I, I love, I love that. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you offer. Uh, well, it's a challenge now because we're in this pandemic, but I guess maybe what you did and where you want to go in the future with your studio. Yeah, we, yeah, we have done all sorts of things now that I think of it. Um, yoga wise, we've, um, we've gone from gentle yoga right up to like a level two type of class where you're, you are sweating. Um, but as the years have gone by and our, our demographic has changed, it's become, it's still mostly women, but there are m way more uh, men here than we used to have. Um, and that's probably true across you know, all yoga studios. Um, but the age, like I said before, has gotten older. So we offer more classes that are foundational. So they're not going to you know, try or put you beyond your, your limits. Um, and we, and we offer, you know, we, we're offering 20 plus classes a month or a week. And, oh, amazing. Uh, and, you know, had a complement of 13 to 16 teachers. Um, so we had a nice that range. That is a nice range. Of, of classes, uh, levels, styles. Um, and then we, you know, we've offered Qigong, which we still offer online. We, uh, all of our classes right now are online or outdoors, and the outdoors are very popular right now. People, oh, yeah. People, gives them a chance to get together. It's great. Uh, go outside in this nice area um, that is just, it's beautiful. It's bucolic. The, the trees have a canopy effect. Uh, the grass is nice, perfect, and the birds are always there. Yeah, so that's we, great background noise. Yeah, it is. And that's the, great background. Cayuga Creek runs right near it, so we can hear that. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's fan that's, that's fantastic. I think uh, things like yoga, I think exercise in general, I mean, is so much more pleasurable and it's so much more grounding when you're outside. You know, we live in a climate that you can't you can't be in that, but I think some of the silver lining of all this is that people are looking to new ways to exercise. You know, my practice being in a gym, I would tell my clients for years when it would be summertime, I'd say, listen, go outside. Like you yeah. really don't, you don't have to be in the gym. Like we have, you know, we have three, four months of really nice weather. Go outside, walk, explore, hike, you know, do some things. Um, and I think it's so important from just a health standpoint. Well, even working with you at the gym, um, you in the summertime you would have us outside sometimes it's it's just such a key factor and especially because we live in a society now where people are in offices under you know stagnant lighting recircled air you know for eight or ten hours and yeah. it's like when you walk into a gym it's like they have piped in music TVs all over the place and overhead lighting and I'm, you're kind of like you're walking into the same situation that you just left uh, you know, yeah. the, the modern gym per se. That's right. I think, and you can maybe attest to this, something that's kind of occurring that I've noticed over the last eight or 10 years is the more modern we are becoming, that we are also 
reaching back and looking at ancient practices and ancient rituals that are kind of resurfacing. And it's this just interesting uh, change or shift. Yeah. It's, you know, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, it is, it's resurfacing for the majority. For people like you and I, you and I it's old because we've been into this for a much longer time. But you're right, it's, it's coming around, coming around again. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, so to speak. We have to get outside. Um, the negative ions that the earth emits, uh, we need that. And when we get outside, we should not have any footwear on our feet. We should be walking on the grass, not on the cement, not on the concrete or the asphalt. But we need to do what we thought was weird and hug a tree. And you don't have to hug a tree so it looks like you're hugging a tree. You can lean against a tree and kind of put your arm up. And, touch. And, and touch that tree. Um, lean against it with your hand, you know, straight arm. Kind of lean like you're just kind of resting. But touch the trees. Um, talk to the trees. Talk to nature. All of this is a connection, a further connection with Gaia. And it's, it's, if you want to maintain balance in your life, you need to get outside, you need to connect, you need to talk, whether it's out loud or in your head, with nature. Okay. I think now, since so many people are locked up, how important it is to do that. And now, if, you know, if you're somebody that is, is home by yourself, this has got to be such an amazingly stressful time. I feel like getting outside in the in the yard barefoot and inter, you know interacting with nature I think is one of the best things for us right now. It is. Um, you know, I want to say we really need to stop using all the fertilizers on our lawn so that it looks pretty and get back to basics so that we connect with what the earth has given us as opposed to what a laboratory has given us by putting, putting it on the earth, putting it on your lawn. Um, all this stuff you know, leads into more. You start to do self-discovery. So meditation. And whether you call it meditation or prayer, it doesn't matter. Stop talking and listen. Mm. Okay? Yes. And when you pray, it's not supplication. Just like when you say, give us this day our daily bread. That is a command, but it's not egotistical. So when you're doing kinesiology, for instance, and you ask a question, it's not an, it's not a, uh, an interrogative, it's a declarative, right? You know that. So you can give a yes or no answer. It's the same thing when you're praying or meditating. You put it out there and you state it as though it's already done. So you have an attitude of gratitude and you have the feeling that would be associated with you already receiving that which you put out there. Um, all of this, this mind, body, spirit has, has for those who are looking for balance in a very natural, holistic way, um, this is all part of it, the meditation, the walking bare feet, even in the wintertime. Holy cow, you crazy? No, even in the wintertime. And you're not gonna be out there for more than 30 seconds because it's cold, but you connect. Absolutely, um, and we talked a little bit about this before I turned the record on and how, you know, we talk about stressors and how we become a society that's afraid of any type of stressful change. Mm -hmm. It's like we want our houses at 70 degrees. It's funny in the summertime, you know, I stopped to, well, other than during this time, I would always comment, you know, I would stop to grab a coffee or something 
and people are complaining because it's hot out, so they're inside. But then a week later, you know, the temperature drops, and they're like, it's you know, we become humans have evolved as to be in stress. Yeah, and it's it's rough because I see that all the time. People are locked away in their houses, you know, unnatural light, unfiltered light, crappy water, crappy food. And uh, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't hippie talk. This is science. This is, this is what we've evolved to. Um, but I love yoga because I feel like even if you took the, the businessman that's, you know, driving the Ferrari, they come in and it's like, it's a quick look into that ancient practice and the grounding. And especially the way you teach, you know, the Tibetan bowl and just those little things that you add in, I think really connects us to kind of that, that ancient past in ours. Um, I know that personally, from pure like movement standpoint, I think that yoga practice and like strength training, I think are such a great combination. I think yeah. that balance, that yin-yang of the, the yoga and the, and the strength and the weights, I know so many athletes that I work with, they, they feel the same way. You know, they push these heavy loads and then yoga is like that working in, yeah. you know, enables them to really get to those deep parts of their, uh, of their body physically, but they're also tapping into some emotional stuff. Yeah, it, it, it offers a release uh, in a very different way than the typical, in this case, athlete is trained. Um, it allows a further expression of who they are. It opens things up for them and also gives them insights into their own profession. Uh, and many times not even by intent. It just, you know, you just do your movements over and over. Mm. And in yoga, one of the things that was very different, you, you probably did step aerobics years ago, at least once. Sure. Right? And you could be thinking about your shopping list doing that. Because for a couple of reasons, but one, one was the instructor never said, stay here, stay in the room, don't let your mind wander. And in yoga, it's just the opposite. It is stay here. <clears throat> um, it is train yourself to focus, which is concentration, which leads to meditation. So you learn to do something with such intensity. It's like the preacher's curl. Okay, they've studied that because you know everything these days are studied. Yes. So, Monday, everyone comes into the gym, right? They just had a weekend, and they got both um, chest dumbbells. Chest and biceps. Right. <laughs> dumbbells in their hands, and they're over talking to their friends, saying, oh, you got to hear about my weekend. Okay, so they got that example, and then you take somebody who's doing a preacher's curl, and a preacher's curl, as you know, is very focused. And they found that there's a 27% increase in strength when you do the preacher's curl as opposed to when you're talking to somebody doing curls. <clears throat> And there's more detail behind that, but I'll, I'll leave it at that high level. Um, when you put your mind into whatever you're doing, there's an enhanced effect. And it's, in this case, it's been shown. So they study that and they find that to be the case. In most cases, we're not studying it, but you notice the difference yourself, okay? It's, it's not scientific, but it doesn't have to be scientific. It's, you know, yoga is the, the art and science of yoga. Is, Absolutely. Is the full name Absolutely. You know, Arnold talked about that, uh, Schwarzenegger, in his days, that mind-body connection. And he was uh, known for not, for being so focused in 
on his exercise and he said, you know, when I'm doing a, a bicep curl or a chest press, he's like, I'm trying to utilize not only the muscles, but I'm trying to, I'm thinking about the bones moving and the muscles moving. And, you know, guys like Frank Zane that were in his, yeah. it was even yeah. more focused in on that. And I think, you know, it's there in any type of practice. It's just whether you want to utilize it or not. Yeah. Where did the, where did yoga start? I know there's, you know, always discussion and conversation. Like, did yoga start as a practice for meditation? Like, where, where do you think yoga started? From what I have read from, from the various stories I've read, <clears throat> yoga started as a meditation practice. Yoga was meditation. Ayurveda was for the body. Yoga was for the mind. Mm. Then seven poses were developed to facilitate someone sitting on the floor in a cross-legged position. Now remember, this wasn't the United States of America back then in which there were chairs. Was this, would this be India? Yeah. So you sat on the, on the ground back then, maybe with a, a silk blanket, okay, or something woven underneath you. And it was a hard ground. And you might have been, although most people in that part of the world squat when they're sitting or yeah. they sit in the cross-legged position. And there's, there's three or four or five different cross-legged positions that you can, you can take. Well, they're used to that. So if they get into meditation, they're somewhat used to sitting in that, but they start getting into meditation. And over time, they realize, holy cow, I want to stay here for hours because I am in bliss. I'm having an orgasm with the divine. So some of them needed postures to facilitate stretching here, stretching there. And that helped them sit longer. And then with Krishnamacharya back in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, he uh, was, he's, he's the guy who trained Iyengar, who trained Patabi Joy. Does he have his, his face, he's got the long hair, is it the, like the long flowing brown hair? I think I've seen a few of his yeah. books. Yeah, he's, well they all have long hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, and he, he trained five different people who became names oh, around okay. the world. But he was asked, I think by, by the British, to teach gymnastics. And he came up with a lot more movements. Now, so there's, two, there's a couple of stories here. One says that these movements were thousands of years old. Another one says they were developed in the 40s, a lot of them underneath the umbrella of Krishnamacharya. Um, is Krishnamacharya? Yeah. Um, so... Some of the poses might in fact be new, somewhat new. Mm. Um, but then if you go to some other really esoteric readings, um, there's supposedly some poses in there that are, you know, there's poses in there that are, that are supposedly the new poses, or maybe they're not so new. Um, but initially, yoga was meditation only. It's not that way in the United States. Of course, it's, of course mostly poses, maybe I'll get into the meditation. And that's the way it was for me. I joined, I mean, you can join for any number of reasons, body, mind, or spirit, okay? Um, yoga also has the yamas and the niyamas, which are um, disciplines and observations. And so there's five and five, there's 10, and we don't call them the 10 commandments, we call them the 10 suggestions. 
Hmm. Okay. So whereas in Christianity they'll mention sin in yoga, it's ignorance. Wow. Okay. So sin carries guilt, ignorance carries education or lack thereof. Okay. So two di same things, different words, different, totally different meanings. Because there's a totally different philosophy there. Do you think that? Uh, I know, in some points, different religions have poo-pooed yoga uh, because mm. of its practice. Do you think that ultimately they should be, they could be joined together, uh, the, you know, the practice of yoga, mm. do you think it could integrate well in with different religions, whether it be Christianity or, you know, Buddhism or, uh, you know, Judaism, any of those? Oh, absolutely. Yoga is no different than any martial art. Um, there's a lot of people, there's every culture and every every belief system taking martial arts. Same with yoga. Um, yoga became more popular, perhaps, than martial arts. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's a difference in the 60s and 70s, martial arts were world popular, but there wasn't the media explosion. Sure, it. sure. There is, so now it's 90s and 2000s and, and 2010s, right? And, and there's this huge media outlet for yoga. So, Yoga is a spiritual practice. It's not a religious practice. So any religious person can dovetail their religion into the spiritual uh, study. Um, in the East, it's not called a spiritual study. It's called a philosophy. Mm. In the West, we call philosophies religions. Yes, yes. Right? So what's the difference? Nomenclature, names, big deal. But there are some religions that have a big problem with that, of course, of right? course. So Christians will, as an umbrella, will poo-poo yoga, yet there are subgroups or pockets within that will teach yoga, do yoga and teach yoga. They'll have Christians teaching yoga, and they'll always infuse Jesus into the practice, which is fine for sure. For that, you know, forever whoever wants that. Do you think it's it's uh, do you think some of that is just due to most a lot of ignorance, quote unquote, is usually due to just lack of knowledge. Uh, maybe it's roots to Hinduism. Is that maybe why they're afraid? Oh, sure, sure. I remember in seventh grade, I was taught all the religions of the world in three hours. Uh, I was uh, very close. Yeah, how in depth was that? Yeah. All right, but one of the things we learned about Hinduism back then, and this was in a Catholic school, was. Hindu, Hindus don't believe in pleasure or pain. And I got pain, you know, don't believe in pain. I could understand in my seventh grade mind, yeah, okay, let's not put anything into pain. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't understand why they didn't uh, want to put anything into pleasure until just a few years ago uh, when I realized it's not about pleasure or pain, it's about the path and it's about your heart. And you may experience both, but that's not the determinant. That's an ego attribute, not a spiritual attribute. Yeah, that's, you know, I think where so many people go into yoga with the physical practice, uh, I think the biggest things I see is I love people that come out sometimes unknowingly in this other, in this other path. And I think that's just so important, but not forcing it down. That's what I love. People that their own experience and they started this and it, it changes the way they think the way they feel mm -hmm. where do you think that yoga itself and your 
business and what you want to do moving forward? What, where do you think it's going to go? Where do you think yoga is going to go? And then where do you think your practice in, in business with helping people is going to, is going to evolve to? Yoga is going to continue um, on the incline. As more people, as more barriers get broken down, as more people get introduced to it by a friend or a family member or by the doctor. I, whereas years ago, no doctor reckoned anybody walking in my studio wasn't because of a doctor. Now it's probably thirty plus percent walking in because of doctors. That's, I mean, I think I think that's amazing it, if they walk into right. the if they walk into the right place. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They got to find the right studio. You got to find the right teacher within that studio. There's some, absolutely. Someone should give it at least three, three, four, five months. Um, and as far as I go, yoga is not, is not, has not ever been the end all for me. Uh, I've known that. Um, I get a kick teaching meditation and philosophy uh, much more than I teach than I get from teaching physical movement. So if I'm getting uh, what's the word I want to look for? If I'm getting tired of teaching yoga, I have to infuse myself with more philosophy to bridge the physical with the mental and the emotional and the spiritual. And then, then, then my teaching rises again. That's amazing. I mean, that was the one thing I think probably connected myself to you personally is because that's how... I'm always thirsty for knowledge. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, we'd done a sweat lodge together that we'd helped build, if you remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all those pieces. And what I always loved is when I come into your studio and I look at the board and I would see all of the, you know, the workshop, the seminars, you know, the organic farms and stuff. And I was just like, this is so important to me because it just, it's, it's that holistic piece where it's the mind, the body, the food, you know, all those little factors. Uh, and I think that's why I just, you know, always uh, connected to you on that piece. Cause you know, we could talk about books and religion and philosophy. Uh, I know you're a huge Joe Dispenza fan Yeah. and uh, in his work, how is his work, um, how has his work uh, challenged you? How has his work been a, uh, been a piece of your self growth? Whenever, well, his work for anybody who's listening and doesn't know, it, it, he's a neuroscientist and he's primarily a meditation teacher and a meditator. And, and he became a meditation teacher because he, of what he experienced meditating and, and how he healed his seven broken vertebrae when he was hit by a car going 65 miles an hour. So he's got, he's got a great story. Um, so I picked up one of his books, started reading, and it just grabbed me. And of course, I've been, med been meditating since the time I was 16 years old. And noticed changes way back then from meditating. And then over the years, you, you know, I stopped, and then I'd get back into it, and then I'd stop. And in the early years, I didn't realize that the reason I was feeling so good was because I was meditating. So I'd start to feel good, and stop meditating and never so this is how ignorant and naive I was well that I finally figured that out um, but Dispenza I started teaching his stuff here in my classes and it saved the life of a certain individual who had liver cancer 
um, not cancer, she had liver failure. And she lost, she had to lose close to 50 pounds. She went down to 82 pounds. And she started meditating. And I didn't realize it at the time, this is 2018. I didn't realize it at the time, but she was meditating four to six hours a day. I didn't find that out for like almost, almost a year. Because she realized at the point she started meditating, following Dispenza's meditation, some of his meditations, he's got a bunch of them. <laughs> and she, she realized, she had a realization, I'm not gonna make it. She finally realized after being sick for eight months, I'm gonna die. So she had an appointment in the early part of September of 2018 with her doctor at the Cleveland Clinic. And she decided to meditate in July, and started right around end of July, beginning of August, meditated for the time period I said, four to six hours a day. And part of her meditation was, <clears throat> part of her meditation was visualizing, seeing, feeling, her appointment with her doctor and exactly what he was going to say the eight statements he was going to make so every day she focused on eight statements he was going to make so when she and her husband walked in to see him in September 5th of 2018 I think it was right around there <clears throat> he said exactly those eight things in the order she had said them in her meditation and he said then he said her last point was that she had meditated on was, I don't want to see you for six months, but he said, I don't want to see you for a year. Wow, that is And uh, that meant powerful. you got a clean bill of health. Powerful. So when you see something like that and realize this is not a friend's lawyer's sister's daughter. <laughs> this is someone I know. Mm -hmm. So that, that adds a lot. It adds a lot. I mean, it becomes, yeah. you know, real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, that power of the, that power of the mind, the innate healing that's in there. It's just figuring out a way to tap in. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think that modern, the, our modern day living, is the filters that, or do you think? that's always been the case through humanity. Do you think that earlier humans had the ability to tap in, but maybe not the knowledge? I think we all have the ability to tap in. We all have what it takes to tap in. It's all, all it is within us. Um, I think there's always just a small percentage of humanity that chooses to tap in, whether it's modern day or, or eons ago. Um, could I say, because of all the technology, we're so technology advanced and so limited with, you know, who am I? That's the question, right? Who am I? We're so limited of, of who we are that we're allowing technology to take over who we are. And we don't even get a, give a thought to who we are. Most people don't meditate. Most people may pray, but it's telling God what to do. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, or they're begging, and supplication will never get you uh, the response you're, you're looking for. Most people have, they cannot even be alone with their thoughts. Oh my God, I know. And it's, uh, that's something interesting. You know, I've, over the years, I've made really big strides personally of making sure that the information I'm consuming per se, 
is as positive as possible. So if I'm driving in the car, you know, I'm listening to music or podcasts. But then a year or two ago, I thought, how about just the quiet? And I tried, you know, walking the dog in the car. I would just shut it down totally. And it's a, it's a struggle to be quiet in today's age. And even though it's a struggle, it's so important because it's just constant, constant, uh, you know, chatter. And I think that's, and I've worked with people and I've had, you know, friends and, uh, you know, relatives and whatnot that they, I said, when's the last time that you drove home with not listening to anything? I don't. When's the last time you, you know, got up in the morning and didn't turn the TV on right away? And it's, it's, it sounds so simple, but try constant <laughs> chatter. Yeah. And like we said now too, and you know, I interviewed a, a buddy of mine who's a hypnotherapist, Peter McLaughlin, and he said, especially right now at this time, he said, you got to be really careful. What are you consuming? Not only your food, but what are you consuming between the ears? Yeah. And, uh, I've really, really been focused on that with myself and the family of getting rid of that. Almost the pack, pack where people are like, hey, did you see what happened? And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I haven't watched the news. You know, I haven't right. listened. And um, which, uh, again, I, you, have to, you do have to be, we're living in this world, but I think there's so much garbage that we could get rid of. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. you know, turn that to compost. <laughs> And, you know, use that as our nourishment. It yeah. doesn't mean to be disconnected and living in a cave, but it just means really being cautious and careful about what we're consuming, just like, uh -huh. you know, our food and our water. Oh, absolutely. Most of what we do every single day is subconscious. So, it's, so we hear that term, but it's below the level of our conscious mind. Absolutely. 5%, according to certain studies, 5% of what you do is conscious, which means 95% is unconscious or subconscious. So if you want to change, like every January 1st, let's go on a diet, right? If you want to change, <clears throat> you got to change your subconscious mind, your subconscious way of thinking. Now, the brain has a, a, a huge role in this, but so does every single body self. According to Dispenza, the subconscious mind resides in every single cell of your body. So you got to change that'll affect those cells. How do you do that? That's that's one of the, one of the questions. I mean, he has a formula for doing that. Okay, you you he doesn't use the word visualize, but I'll say you know you visualize your future happening right now. Well, if you're if it's happening right now, then you have to feel that it's happening right now. Okay, you can't just do it mentally. This has got to be body mind. Okay, so the body is your emotion. So your your physical body is your emotional body. Because that's where you feel your feelings, yes. right? It's not three feet from you that you feel joy or sadness, right? It's inside, inside the body. <clears throat> so the thoughts and the feelings have to be in sync. And you need to power it through the emotion of love, not fear. Most people mistake that, think they're, they're powering their motivation through love, but they're powering with fear. Through fear. And that's going to get you a totally different set of feelings, okay? So, you know, Dispenza, his teachings are invaluable. He has a lot of science behind 
what has been written for eons. There is a book called Feeling is the Secret, written by Neville Goddard in 1934. And that book is, has no science to it. It's a real thin book, and I recommend everybody read that book. I, I, a lot of my students purchased the book. It was like $6. Beautiful. So reading that book, I just had a, um, one of my students in here yesterday, and we were talking about that book. It's one of the many things we're talking about. And he says, I had the hardest time reading that, understanding that. Because it's a totally foreign, it's like reading Shakespeare, mm. right? When you were in high school trying to read Shakespeare. Of now course. I think Shakespeare was brilliant. Back then I thought, I had Your, no our mind, Our minds evolved. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> I then get to, I've been reading Feeling as a Secret for six or seven years. I get to Spence's book back in 2017. I read that and I says, holy cow, he's saying the same thing Neville Goddard said in 1934. But he's got the science to back it up. Yes. He says, oh, how cool is that? Um, we need to read some stuff like that instead of novels. <laughs> I agree. I think that yeah. balance is, is, is just so important. Um, it, it makes such a difference in the time. And I, I feel the same way you want to eat. The food that you eat should be nutritious and fuel. Our stuff for our brain should be the same. It should be positive. You know, we should be yeah. fueling our, our brain with yeah. uh, positive things. And yeah. what we're reading and consuming and the music we're listening to. You know, I think is so important. You were saying before about um, silence. It can be so frustrating or it can be so serene and calm for you. <clears throat> but it takes practice. And when I t uh, am teaching meditation, especially to beginning students, I tell them this will be one of the hardest things you ever do. It's going to be harder than lifting 400 pounds right now trying to bench press 400 pounds one time. <clears throat> because if you tried to bench press 400 pounds right now, you're going to be sore tomorrow. You're going to know you did something today. If you meditate today for a half an hour or an hour or two hours, tomorrow you're not going to feel like you meditated. You're not going to. Meditation is cumulative. It takes practice. It takes so much practice. It's like trying to do Warrior Two over and over and over, and then you finally get Warrior Two. It took me two years to feel Warrior Two after beginning yoga in 1999. <clears throat> and then when I did, I finally, I remember saying to myself, this is yoga. Ah, uh, yeah. You had that, that light bulb moment. I had that light bulb moment because prior to that, it would, Warrior Two was just physical. And at that moment, it became mind and body connecting. Oh, that's, that's, that's beautiful, Michael. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can, where can people find you? Uh, online? I know you're doing classes. Um, you know, mention your website, social media, run yeah. it all down. Okay. We have uh, an online website, risingsunyoga.com. Uh, we have a, uh, a phone number also, 716-632-5802. Great. I can be reached at michael at risingsunyoga.com. Perfect. And I'll link uh, into the show notes of the podcast too. I'll link the website and whatnot. Okay. And our so. Facebook page is out there too. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you, brother. Hey, it's good to see you. It was you. wonderful. Thanks so much. Isabel, you still there? Thank you for tuning into that episode with Mike Sutton, yoga instructor, holistic healthcare practitioner. Mike's website is Yoga Is Rising Sun. He's got a host of different classes, all available online.
So if you can't make it to a studio, if your studio's closed, it's a really wonderful way to start a practice. He's got a whole different uh, concept of different types of yoga classes with some really good instructors. I think he's almost up to like 12 or 13 different instructors at his studio. So check it out. Get your yoga practice going. Uh, Thank you again. If you enjoyed this podcast or any others, please leave a five-star review with a comment on maybe how this podcast has influenced you, made you a better person, all that good stuff. It helps get the word out and more people uh, that could possibly listen. So thank you again. Enjoy the beautiful weather. Get outside, walk barefoot, eat some healthy food, live, laugh, love. Until next time.